0: Hi guys, welcome back this week to a new podcast, The Musings with the Moving Man, with me, Stephen Braybrook. And today I have someone who's got vast amount of experience, both in a long league and professional game, but from both sides, both from coaching, managing and also a scouting. So this is going to be a really, really interesting because, you know, we've got the whole whole round, uh, round impetus here. So before we go on, Hugo Lantern, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Are you good?
0: I am very well. I'm I'm really buzzing for this because, like I say, you know, we've got we've got the the coach in the manager world, and we've got actually, you know, picking up plays, spotting plays, teaching people how to scout. So we've got the sort of you know the whole the whole aspect. Before we go on, uh, just you know, I know people who know who you are, but for those who may not come across you, just explain a little bit about yourself, where you've been, your background. Before we move on,
1: uh, well, I'm currently the manager of Lewis. Um, I've had a couple of spells at Welling. I've been at Bromley, Eastbourne Borough. Um, Before all that, I did quite a few clubs right down the other end of um, non-league. I've worked um, as a scout recently for uh, a League One team in both player recruitment and also the first team opposition, uh, scouting reports. Uh, I did some stuff for a League Two side as well. and I've got my own football consultancy, which specialises in analysis and, and opposition scouting more than anything.
0: So we'll we, we definitely talk about that. But I want to talk to you firstly about, about how did you find going into Lewis? How did you find? Because, you know, Lewis, big club, big name, big reputation, yeah. done lots of great things in the past. But before you went in, you know, we're, we're floundering a little bit. What you, how did you find going into that club?
1: Um, it was really interesting, actually, because um, when I'd agreed to, you know, to become the manager, as it were, on the Monday night, I was going in to, um, to meet everybody and to meet the players and stuff. And, and I was looking at the team sheet and I'm thinking, what, why are they where they are? You know, I knew most of the players by name. I hadn't worked with any of them before, which was always useful. I, I knew Frankie Chappell, centre half. If we walked past each other in the street, we'd say hello to each other. But um, I couldn't, it was interesting to see because I had to. When you go into a job like that, you know, you're, you're asked to go in somewhere. It's because something's not right. OK, and, there's, um, and so it's, it's just trying to figure out what isn't right. Now, some things can be very clear and obvious very quickly. But I gave myself two weeks to let everything come to a head because there's things that hide. And the best thing that probably happened, and this will probably surprise any Lewis fans listening to this or perhaps even my chairman. But the best thing that happened was we lost one little at home to Brighton Sea Region. Um, and that was the moment, literally two weeks, just under two weeks, I'd been in the job. I would got in my car and I knew exactly what I had to do. And I, I could see what all the problems were and things that needed to be fixed. Some I could fix very quickly and I did from day one. Um, but other things it can be a little bit more complicated than that. So um, for me, going into lockdown was obviously... It's a shame, but it's it's a shame for everybody because we're living in, in crazy times, but um, we were just getting going. Yeah. So the four games that were leading up to the final game, we were taking teams apart, but we just weren't getting what we, we should have done from games, whether that be one point or three. Uh, but then against the last game, against Haringey, we, we got what we deserved. So it was a little bit of a shame, really. But um, listen, this, where we are now in the world and what's going on is way more important things. Uh,
0: but again, but you know... you. You know, the, he was there, and this was happening before, before all this lockdown stuff. So, you know, yeah, it's vitally important for you guys. How? Because I know I know you've been a coach at many clubs, at, at highest levels as well. And I always ask the question because there's always this, this split potentially between coach and manager. Not as in sometimes sure. you know, get got to manager, but you know, so uh, yeah. So in the last podcast: some people are great coaches, shit managers. <laughs> some people, you know, are uh, poor coaches but make good managers. How did you sure. find? You bridge that gap between being a coach and then being a manager.
1: Well, one thing that, um, you know, when I've been a coach or an assistant somewhere else, um, you know, you're, you're, in, you're implementing somebody else's ideas and, and game plan, which I've never had a problem with, you know. And uh, I particularly enjoyed, for example, working with Tommy Widrington down at Eastbourne Borough because he was a great gaffer to work for because, you know, he, he listened to what you had to say you know some some do some don't but Tom was you know, was a great guy probably my favorite guy to work for um but you know when I was at Welling recently when I was the assistant manager it was difficult because there was a period of time when the manager was away and I was trying to manage his football team but because I was still managing his football team and not my own team I found it really really difficult and then when I left Welling um and, and the opportunity to come to Lewis come up. I thought, you know what, I am I have managed before. Um, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to go and see. Let's, let's go and see the, the chairman I've known him for 10 years. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I want to go and give this a go. And now I'm at the stage where, I th- where I'm actually really, really enjoying it. And to me, I know to to nobody else, but to me, I have to prove now to myself that I can uh, can manage a football team successfully. So that's that's what motivates me.
0: So what is your uh, philosophy in managing then? Because everyone's, everyone's got a philosophy of football well, somewhere, but...
1: Look, in, in the way that I've managed Lewis, for example, is, um, you know, with some very simple rules, you know, just to, to be honest and humble, you always give 100% and, and the, the team comes before anything. If you live by them, that's fine. But, you know, the way that, that I am is that you, you're open and you're honest with people. So if a player asks you a question... He knows he's going to get a, uh, an honest answer. He may not like the answer, but he'll he'll understand that you're telling him the truth. So, um, you know, I think it's just, you you have to be honest. You have to give people reasons why something's happening. It might be that they're in the team or, or they're not. Players don't like surprises. Um, they just would rather you were honest, you know. So that's what I try to be. Um, and, and, you know, I said say to the players, if you give me everything you've got, I'll give you everything I've got. You know, we'll be fine if that's the case. And there's a few sort of um, things, obviously, I needed to weed out. Uh, but you know what? They've been they've been absolutely brilliant. You know, I can't can't knock them at all. I know it's an easy thing to say, and people will always say that about the players. But you know, it's the first time I've worked at this level for a long time. Um, but I've been genuinely surprised about their their attitude, not just towards me, but towards wanting to to win for the football club.
0: So what do you look for in a player? Because obviously, you know, you, you've worked in this, you, you are, you know, you've got, you know, you got your own company, scouting, public consulting. So, you, you know, potentially you could be looking at something different to them, maybe other managers do, you know. Yeah. So, you know, if the player comes along, you know, what's the what's, what's sort of third of that sticks in mind and says, yeah, that's, that's what I need?
1: Well, I'm probably in a slightly different position, for example, now I could talk a little bit about Lewis and obviously I've got to start thinking about my team for next season. So I know how I want to play. Um, and so I recruit around that. Now I'm in the position where I've actually got some very good players, you know, and I'm, I also have the luxury that there's some very good players that were in the under-18s that I will promote into the first team squad. So I, my recruitment for now, for example, is quite straightforward. But the players that I'm looking to recruit are players that I already know yeah. um, for those the sort of three or four players. So I know what they're like. I know they'll be good guys in the changing room. Because as I said to you before, you know, the team has to come before any individual, you know. And if, uh, if anybody steps out of those boundaries, um, they'll either get pulled in by the others or they'll, they'll be gone. You know, so uh, people understand when they come into my changing room what's required of them. Uh, but, you know, in general terms, I do my, my, if I don't know a player particularly well, but I know he's a good player. Uh, obviously, I'll make some phone calls to previous managers. I always check their social media. I check newspapers, reports, I check their disciplinary records, absolutely anything that you can think of. It's like I I could almost tell you what they have for breakfast, you know, because you need to understand the player, you need to understand what motivates him, Um, you need to understand what their family situation is, particularly if they've got children, as many many do, Um, you know, whether they're married, long-term relationships, whatever it might be, you know, you need to understand that. And the... And it's vital that you know that that player, when he walks into your door, into your changing room, he's just going to—he's just going to fit in, and he's not going to um, rattle any cages, as it were.
0: Let's talk about, it's about your, your your footballing consultancy. Explain what 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 what's that entail?
1: Um, well, basically, I teach people how to be opposition scouts first and foremost. So I run online courses and stuff like we're talking now on on Zoom, aren't we? I do it on here with a presentation. And it's interactive. I used to go around the country doing it, but it just got a bit too much, and a bit too exhausting. And then I realised that the internet existed <laughs> and, I, and I, started, I started to do it that way. But I've got clients um, from League One downwards um, and when they, you know, they'll hire my guys, you know, so whenever they need something covered, uh, I put it into the WhatsApp group and one of the scouts, who's, wherever he's in the country, the nearest one will go, yeah, I'll take that. And they'll go and watch it, you know. Um, I'm sort of planning on branching out a little bit more into analysis, you know. Um, but yeah, it's mostly focuses around coach education really at the moment, but on a on an opposition scouting analysis front. Okay. So, um, so when when you so I give things away because people, you know,
0: are going to come on your course. But so, you know, we all, we all watch the game of football and we all go, oh, that was good. Or, you know, you could have done that. Or, you know, you make a little list of your favourite players or good, you know, good things they can do, and bad things they can do. Obviously, scouting opposition is not that simple. What sort of, what sort of things do people fall, you know, fall by the wayside? What things they sort of tend to get wrong
1: quickly? They tend to, uh, to zoom in on um, an event. Right. And, uh, but they won't uh, rewind and understand why that event happened. So you need to rewind three, four, five seconds. So somebody might, you know, when these guys that do my course, they have to go away and they practice and they send me reports and I work with them. And when they get to a standard, then that's great. I can, I can use them. you know. But they'll send me a scout report and in it they'll write, you know, uh, be careful of the number nine. He's dangerous with his back to goal. Okay, well, that's good to know. But also, well, where's the, can you tell me, Who's giving him the ball more often than not? Is there a trend, you know? Um, So small things like that, you know, I think people tend to to report on it as if they're a newspaper reporter, rather than thinking, you know, stop looking at the ball. The ball's not important. So, for example, if you're watching a game of football on TV, and there's a corner kick, the worst thing that can ever happen, and it always happens, is that the cameraman zooms in on the corner taker. Now we know that the guy's going to going to deliver the ball, either short or long. We know that, but we don't get to see what's happening in the uh, in the penalty box, and it then becomes frustrating. Also, just to divert a little bit, so when you work in the national leagues, you have access to to Y Scout or um, Scout Seven, where all the games get uploaded and you can watch each other's games. And all these trainee cameramen, they might be volunteer students, bless them all, you know. But because they see on TV that the cameraman will go zoom, zoom in. They think, well, that's what I need to do. But then you can't see what's going on around, you know. So the key to, to, to scouting and analysis is you, you've got to look away from the ball and you've got to understand why something has happened. And, and if it keeps happening, why? And is it good, bad, whatever it might be?
0: Is there, <clears throat> how much is that going on in non league football? How much is, you know, you know do do do, do teams tend to have scouts? They look at,
1: continue watching. Yeah. Games? Well, having worked in the national leagues for quite a while, 100%, everybody's has uh, someone watch Most do. So, you know, some people don't. Some people literally just do watch the the footage on um, Scout Seven. You know, they watch the whole game. Me personally, when I was, for example, at Welling or Bromley or Eastbourne, um, you know, you get the scout <laughs> report. We'd also watched. I'd always watched the previous three games, so I could see things for myself as well. You know. Um, In my division, I don't know. I know, um, you know, Jay Saunders at Margate has used my company, particularly more so when he was at Maidstone. He's used it every now and then. Um, But I tell you where I tend to get a lot of uh, work is around the early rounds of the FA Cup because there's prize money involved and because it doesn't cost a lot in relative terms to hire one of my guys to be able to spend uh, the money and for the potential return is worth doing. So I always get really busy. I always get um, teams as well in the, in the FA Vars, particularly, the, I live in Tunbridge in Kent, but I, so I particularly get the Kent teams as they start to progress and it becomes nationwide. Uh, the interesting one I had recently was, uh, and I, I hope neither of the managers are listening to this, but you had the Corinthian manager and they were playing a team called Heban from Newcastle. So the Corinthian manager, I know him, but I also know the Heben manager, weirdly, and uh, there was a bit of a crossover you know, and it's not the first time that's happened. I think Tunbridge Wells and Spennymore years ago. You know, so um, yeah, it's it's interesting. But yeah, I, I get busy around, legitimately there's money involved for the lower teams,
0: and there's prize money involved. That's cool. And obviously, you've been around. You've been around lots of players, and you've been around lots of players who have, you know play professional football. Play professional football now. Have gone on, and, and you you know you've had a good a good Lewis Academy as well. You've set up. You know, there's a lot of good players around that. What's the difference is between those who make it and those who don't?
1: Well, um, I think a lot of players, young players, they talk a good game. Um, they um, aren't willing to do whatever it takes to um, you know they don't. It's like it doesn't matter whether you're a footballer or a carpenter, whatever it is, to be good at your profession. If you're a piano player, you know if you dedicate yourself to your profession and you make sacrifices. Uh, then you give yourself a better chance, but I think, um, you know, I get I, I have experienced a lot of players who want things to be given to them, but it doesn't quite work like that, they have to earn the right. So, it's, but it's the same in any walk of life, you know. I think there's a maybe a generation where that are expectant rather than willing to graft for it. So the ones that then graft for it, they're the ones that stand out more, right. they're the ones that tend to go on, you know. So, these are guys. That, I mean, there's a guy who was with me at Welling who went to Crystal Palace this season, but, you know, he, outside of Welling, he dedicated himself to being better, whether it be he got a bit stronger or he ate the right things, he slept properly. You know, he didn't go out to the pubs, he didn't hit nightclubs very, very rarely. Do you know what I mean? He was just, just, do you know what? I've got to give myself every chance. And to be fair, he's now a Crystal Palace player. It was the same with another lad when I was at Eastbourne, who's now at Millwall. You know, he... He stood that stood out not just because he was a good footballer, but also because he was um, a grade A student. So he he, he was he, he gave everything to everything. You know he knew deep down he had a chance of being a player, of being of getting a move somewhere. But it didn't affect him. He he just kept his head down and he just made sure that he did what he had to do on and off the pitch.
0: So. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think one of the things is a recurring theme to this. Uh, these podcasts is it always comes out, you know, that people ha- want to win. People always say, you yeah, know, I want to win. I want to win, but there's a reluctance to actually drive in towards that. There's a reluctance to actually doing what you have to do at times. Yeah. Achieve. yeah. And we see, I see, you know, I work in Academy where I am and, and, and we see that a lot. We see a lot of times where, you know, it's that fine line between what, what are you willing to do to win Today, it's no, this moment. yeah,
1: it's no different. Say, say you want to say you you've put on some weight and you want to lose the weight, all right? So you know, like I need to lose some weight, so um I maybe need to do some exercise and I probably need to eat some some more healthier food. But then you know, it's eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. You're watching TV, you know, and you, and you think, ah, oh, just a couple of Pringles won't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you go and have a couple of Pringles, you know, because your brain's not strong enough to go. Well, no, I I need to. To, to not do that, but you go, oh, do you know what? It don't matter. I'll just do that, it won't harm that. You know, just a little handful of Pringles that you know, won't do me. Mind you, other crisps are available, <laughs> um, but you know, the and you go, oh, it's okay, it won't make any difference. But that's the thing, it, it is making a difference. So, um, you know, and as a result, you then a week later you stand on the scales and you've either not lost any weight or you've put another pound on and you know why. So it's no different to anything in life for me,
0: no. And like I say, you know, I think one of the things that you know, is, is that environment where, you know, I, I it's, it's coming across where it's this generation reset button where, you know, if it's not going your way, you just reset something. You start again, you start, start again. And for me, you know, that's, that's not a problem. The problem is, you know, is the ability to control, handle defeat, you know, because if defeat means nothing to you and it just, you know, we lost a fair yeah. do, so yeah, every
1: Everyone handles defeat differently. You know, um, I think that I handle it differently to other managers. You know, I I don't go home and kick the cat or get angry or I don't become upset about it. I don't lose sleep over it. But, you know, if you have the ability to uh, look yourself in the mirror and be honest, could I have done something different? Did I make correct decisions? Did I pick the correct team? What would I have done differently? And if you can be self-critical and you can analyse yourself like that in an honest way, then, uh, you know, you still sleep well you know i i if i'm honest with you i've slept like a baby now for over 10 years yeah, yeah. but you the players that you have though
0: what 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 sort of things do you do if you see that a player has that attitude about him where you've just lost 1-0 and it's like well okay it's, it's another game don't worry about it they move on you know that 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 lack of you know that lack of having some emotion to losing you
1: know you can't criticize that person for being like that just because he's uh his emotions are shown in different ways to somebody else you know i know that people ex- you know you would expect people to be angry upset and stuff but listen everyone handles stuff differently and you know how they handle their emotions is it's, it's up to them you know but you know whatever happens is that you know for me personally i i don't see the point in huge um, post match inquests because people are still in the game. Some people's heart rates are still high. Some people might be emotional, you know. Um, so it's always best to left. And then when we meet the training, the first thing we do, we we self-analyse together. You know, what could you have done better? What could we have done better? And the players understand that they can speak honestly in a closed environment. People aren't going to knock them for it. Um, so, you know, I remember when I was at, at Bromley, um we, we were top of the league and going for the title. And uh, we were at home to the team at the bottom. And uh, a, a particular player, we, we were 1-0 down. In the 90th minute, we won a penalty to equalise, obviously. And he put the penalty somewhere into orbit, you know. That's life when we lose the game 1-0. But after the game, there was a, the goalkeeper who was quite emotional. And the guy who missed the penalty, not so emotional. The goalkeeper couldn't understand why the uh, guy who missed the penalty wasn't you know upset and they had a little bit of a set too but then the goalkeeper realized when I broke it up and I said this, and everyone handles stuff differently it's just the way that it is you know and they kissed and made up didn't you know, they? so
0: people people talk a lot about changing rooms uh you know something you know people talk about you know if you lose a change room you know things go wrong etc how like your change rooms have be because everyone likes a change room different some have blasting music some say nothing, some have their little superstitions, you leave them alone, some like to get involved.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really care if I'm honest with you. Uh, the players run the changing room, You know how they see fit, but they live within the guidelines which are set by me and themselves, you know. So, uh, if you have a changing room that self-regulates itself, you've got a good changing room When that's what you strive to create. Um, so, if a player steps outside of the boundaries, then the others warn him and pull him back in, you know. Um if if the players decide they want to bang out music, it's, it's not a problem to me. You know, everyone de- you know prepares in different ways, but I think sometimes some of the music, you know, I'm not sure that everyone likes that music. So, but that's but that's their problem. It's not my problem. You know, they 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 can run that side of things how they see fit. They know that when I walk into the room and I have something to say, then the music goes off, and they they pay attention. So, yeah, you want, you want to change them to, be, to, to self-regulate. Definitely. Are you a uh,
0: a meeting-type person? Do you have regular meetings with your players?
1: Or is it sort of um, when needed? Not, not, not really, no. I mean, I, the players know they can phone me any time, day or night. Um, you know, if I've got something I want to speak to a player about, I'll either phone him or I'll wait till I see him. It's a little bit different at the moment uh, because obviously I can't talk face-to-face with the players. Um, so, I've got some some things planned coming up for them which will involve meeting like you and I are now. Um just to start putting some things in their heads about certain things for next season, whenever that will begin. So when we plan well my plan is that when we know when we can return, then they know what's 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 required of them, you know, both on and off the pitch. You know, so um yeah. Yeah, no, I say
0: you work with some managers, you say Tommy Woodington there at Eastbourne Bar. What other, what other managers have left an influence on you, left a big mark on you?
1: The biggest, the, probably one of the biggest influences, you know, obviously I should say Mark Goldberg, because Mark Goldberg's a, a great friend of mine, and he, you know, he, he took me into Bromley with him, and we had some great times, and we've shared some, some good and not so good times at Welling as well since, you know, but, you know, I love Mark, the pieces, but I love Martin Allen. Martin Allen um, Particularly, not, not by directly working with him, but I was very privileged to, to get to know Martin. And when he was the manager of Gillingham, um, the season they won League Two, Martin was brilliant because uh, I, I only live 40 minutes away from Gillingham. And Martin basically gave me access, all areas, to everything, apart from his meetings with the chairman. So I could sit through absolutely everything, good and bad, you know. So he'd, sometimes he even phoned me up and would go, H, what are you doing tomorrow? I'll, I'll not. He goes, Come and see me, beer at eight o'clock. And, you know, and it was brilliant. And I could go in and I watched a man manage his football team. And pr- prior to Gillingham, he was in the also, he won a league with Gillingham that year. But prior to Gillingham, I mean, he was at Notts County. I was with him, but he was at Barnet. And I drove him to Notts County uh, after he'd been appointed manager for the first time to meet the players on a Monday night. And they were away at Yeovil on a Tuesday night. And we walked into uh, Meadow Lane, and you, you know you could feel in the air. Mm. this place is, uh, is horrible. Mm. You know You could see that there was a lot of negativity, not just from around the playing staff, but just as a football club as a whole. The place just smelt of um, defeat, mm. you know And I've never seen anybody do this, but within an hour and a half, that place was jumping. And the players could not wait to go to Yeovil the next day, you know. And how he did it, well, Martin's a very unique person and he's very, very good at what he does. But it was remarkable to to watch that. And it's something that obviously stays with me and that I think about quite often. And Martin's always been a very positive influence on me and he's, you know, he's been very... Um, He's, by the mentor's the word, he probably is, but I've got the same with another guy called Steve Lovell, who was also recently a Gillingham manager. Steve, I, I was his assistant manager 10 years ago, and I learned so much from him, particularly on the man management side, you know, because players just would run through brick walls for him, you know, and it was interesting to, to see this and learn from it. And again, with Steve, I can pick up the phone to him anytime I want, and, you know, we talk often, you know, so. Uh, but yeah, Mark, Martin, Martin especially, just because the I was privileged to be part of some very unique situations mm. that he was in.
0: You, you mentioned something there about you know plays running through brick walls. For you. I know you know you can you, you, you can, we could be all night discussing the reasons hows, whys, and ifs. But can you just outline, especially for a few coaches or managers that are sort of starting out in the game at any any sort of level, and you know having having people that you know, take autonomy of the situation, having people that, they like, say, run through brick walls for you. How, how do you get people to do that? Because we well, all do for the golden goose, no matter who we are, you know, well, we want people in our environment to yeah,
1: be. I, I think, firstly, we go back to what I said earlier about being honest with people. Um, if players appreciate your honesty and know that you're, uh, you know, you're only ever going to tell them the truth, that goes a long way, you know. But also, I think it's important that, um, you know, you, you have a vision whether it be short-term, long-term. So, for example, when I went into Lewis, the short-term vision was we've got to stay in a division. Now, you know, we're looking towards a new season, whatever that might be. Our vision is different, you know. And um, so you, you're always, you're painting pictures uh, with stories or whatever, you know, and you, you're so they can almost visualise stuff, you know, and it's, um, I think I think it's very, very important because if you just turn up and, you treat the place like a social club, and you know you, you, your sessions aren't planned your things aren't nothing's planned everything's off the cuff. people see right through you players will will, will as Tommy Ridringgen always said they'll take the milk from your tea you know but I think if players can see that're you're, that you're consistent in in how you behave and also in your message uh, and that you're consistent with your vision um, and you're, and you tell them the truth and you, then I think you can go a very, very long way with that.
0: What standards you set yourself as a, as a manager?
1: <clears throat> well, um, I try to, like anything I try to do in life, you try to do it to the best of your ability. I think football's slightly different in the sense that, you know, uh, it's quite easy to say you're obsessed with it, but it's a silly word, really. Uh, but, you know, you dedicate your life, to, you know, I've dedicated my career to football, my, you know, and um, you, you just want to make sure that you do everything that you can do. that's possible you don't leave any stones unturned. Um, I will never go into a training session and go, oh, let's see what happens. Oh, no, I've only got 13 players. I can't do that. That's rubbish. You know, you, you plan for every outcome. And, um, you know, a lot of that planning I can do now in my, in my own time. You know, so... Um, no, oh, it's a good question. I, I'm 46, so I, I, I
0: grew up with football, which is slightly different to what we see now. It's still the same game, still, you know, 11 players on the pitch and the ball back, you know, yeah. trying to get the board back on the net, but the back pass rules all changed. We're not, you know, I didn't have that when I was playing. Is there anything regarding today's laws that you just think, like, cause I, maybe we're sort of we're in the same age bracket, is there anything in, in the laws that you see now that you just think, oh, I know I've got to deal with it, it's part and parcel of the game, but... You know, I, I, I don't,
1: yeah. Um, not, not really. I think, in, you know, they've got the offside thing become a bit complicated for a while. First face, second face, third face. But you know what? I've never really worried about it because if someone's going to make the rules, well, I, they're not going to change it because I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. So you adapt to it. It's like now with the, with the COVID-19 pandemic, you just adapt to it, you know, and then you then the challenge then is, then, okay, well, that's, these are the new rules. How can, you know, how can I use them to my advantage? What do I need to know? How can it make my team better? How can it make me better? You know, and so you just have to alter the way that you think about it. So, for example, the most recent big one, wasn't it, was the goal kicks, where, you know, a goalkeeper would have, could have players in the box. Well, see, that, to me, that's interesting, you know, because it can then alter the dynamic of your build-up play, should you choose to, to play that way. Or whatever it might be, but so it's not a like oh no, why can't I leave the game alone? Sometimes you just got to think. Do you know what? Fair enough. That's interesting. How how can I adapt to it? Because they're not going to change it just because I say so. Absolutely. And I, you know, <clears throat> and again, you know, we we're, we we're, we're probably you know, I don't know about
0: yourself, but you know, I'm an '80s boy in a way, grew up in the '80s, and you know, and, and saw football be uh probably more raw than it is now. Uh, do you think that rawness, that I'm gonna say that uh, rough side, that sort of the hard man type environment. Has that been lost in today's game? And if it has, is, it, is there an issue
1: with it? No, listen, it's like anything, whether it be football, music, cinema, whatever it might be, everything moves on and it tends to improve. You know, and um, I know what you're talking about. You know, you're talking about big, strong tackles, your Vinnie Joneses and all them sort of players, as you refer to in the 80s, you know. Those players are still around they're maybe just a little bit uh more cunning, a bit clever you know um i think I think the game now is a is a way better game than it was when we were young in the eighties and early eighties, but the game's changed an awful lot since then uh you know in terms of technology, what we know now about you know the 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 body um so i I think it's a a way better place now you know way way better place because before I think it was. I can look back on YouTube and see, watching some highlights from a game in the early 80s and it resembles almost rugby at times. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, um, I, for me personally, I, I, I think uh, the way that football's moved on has is, is been good. How
0: is it important to surround yourself with really good people?
1: Very, very, very important. You know, not just in, the, for me, not just in my staff, uh, but also outside of football. So, um, you know, I have uh, two guys in particular, one who I know you've spoken to recently, and Andy Driscoll. Um, there's another There's another great friend of ours who's out in Finland. The three of us uh, are very uh, supportive of each other. So, we, you know, we can, um, that, you know, Andy and the, and the Finnish guy, they'll criticise my work and make it better, as I will then, you know. So having that sort of thing, because they they have an objective view of, as we do of each other, of, of what we're, where we're working and what we're doing. And we're able to understand that it's, um, you know, it's okay to, to, to be criticised because they're just, because it's making your work better, mm-hmm. you know, to the extent where we're also part of a slightly larger group of, uh, I think there's nine of us from all around the world where we, um, we're trying to do something similar at the moment, particularly in the lockdown, because we're trying to predict what's going to happen. And when it happens, how can we deal with it? You know, and so we're, we're trying to think a bit ahead, um, whether it may or may not happen. Uh, but having that sort of network is, is huge. When I was an assistant manager, for example, with Tommy or Mark, Steve Love, or whoever, you know, you, you just tried to uh, back them up, make sure that they make the right decisions. So I always regarded myself as being an important part to them because I knew they didn't listen, they didn't have to look over their shoulder and think, hey, H1's my job. I didn't want their job. I was there to work with them, and they knew that. So for some people it can be a bit precious like that. So my job was to, to make sure that I did my job as the assistant, i.e. I assisted the manager. So now I'm the manager. It's important to me that the, my staff do the same, that, you know that they aren't afraid and they know that they can speak and go, why are you doing that? Have you thought about this? Have you considered that? I worry that if you do this, then that will happen. And they're important things to, to have in your, in your staff. And as I said, I'm lucky that I've got it uh, in a network outside of, of, of my job, outside of Lewis as well. But it's, it's massively, massively, massively important. Someone asked me recently, who manages the manager? Well, there's your answer, because otherwise it can be a lonely place.
0: Yeah. And obviously you've got a family, you've got young kids and a and, and wife. And, yeah. and and you know, you said like you don't get many sleepless nights, but... You know, once football gets in your blood, and you've had a one-nil defeat, you know, whether you do it, whether you shout and scream that moment because you want to worry about how it happened, or you you analyse it two days later, it's always there. How do you separate the Hugo Lantern, the the, the family man, and Hugo Langan well, the, the football the manager? How do, you, how do you separate those out them too? Because a lot of people can't. A lot
1: of people. Yeah, it's, yeah. You, well, first of all, you have to. If you take if you take it home with you, then it affects your family, and and I don't think that's particularly fair. You know. Uh, I've got my two children are both girls. You know, they're more into dancing than football. Yeah, of course, they want my, wherever I'm working, they they know if we've won or lost or whatever. But I think I've always been in a situation where I've always had around about an hour's drive home. Mm. So in that hour, yeah, you might have the radio and you are not really listening to it. And you're driving, you know, we all drive on autopilot without realising it, you know. But so that's when you're thinking to yourself, you're doing your self-analysis, you, you, your, your, your self-critique, um, so by the time you get to your front door, you get in, and um, you know, particularly when you've lost, there's nothing nicer than uh, you know your two your two kids waiting to greet you, you know, and and that also should remind you. But hey, listen, it's uh, these are these, these people are more important than than, than football, you know. Absolutely. So it's quite I I don't have a problem at all separating it. Absolutely, and this
0: this this going to be sort of quite uh, quite a dumb question because I think the answers were there, but how important is your youth set up? I know, you know, it's important. I get that. But I don't know how real, because a lot, a lot of people say it's important, but when there comes yeah. a point of time where, you know, 18 year olds like, you know, they're ready to go. They go, ah, no, you're not quite good enough. You haven't got that. You haven't got this. How important is it to get, to get, you know, really? the 18s ready for your first team and in your first Yeah. Team? Well, look, when I went in there, I put a
1: 17 year old in my center midfield. <laughs> um, cause I, I saw something in that I loved. And, um, it was interesting as well, because quite a few people said to me, he ain't good enough, you know, why are you playing him? Uh, and I, I I didn't pay any attention to him. Because, you know, you, you've got to give the kids some experience, you know, and he, he done brilliant. And I've got um, two or three others that I'm really excited about, and I'm expecting them to push for shirts in my team next season. But for Lewis, their under-18s for some years now have been successful. The under-18 manager is also... Part of my staff as well It's done a tremendous job, and um, I think it's really important also that that there's uh, there is and people use the word pathway, um, but you know for for his recruitment, if people can see that hey I don't care if you're 17, if you if I think you can play you can play it doesn't bother me you know, uh, but you just have to obviously look after their development uh, and you've got to make sure that they're, not doing too much, but it be in your session, because they're having to adapt to a different level of football. But also you've got to make sure that they're not playing too much football, which a lot of them do. Some of them play for their college, they play for England colleges, they play for the county, they play for the 18s. So I'm quite clear in my message to the, to the guys now coming in with me to the new season, you're a Lewis first team squad player, you know, that's it. If the situation changes and you have an, a chance to play in something then we will discuss it and we will see so they, so they understand that you know uh, but it was the same at Esport where the great youth set up Bromley now as well Bromley's youth setup's phenomenal now and it's, it's really really important because it's a lot easier to bring through like I'm you know going to give um, two or three young players their opportunity this season and that's brilliant, you know. Because I don't have to go out and find them, yeah, and go, yeah. you know, and and sell them the club and stuff. They're already in the building. They've already been in my squad. They've already been in my training sessions. They already know me, mm. you know. And it it makes your life a lot lot easier. So even when we go back, it's really important that I still get to know the next batch of 18s, yeah. and can I give them an opportunity initially? It might be come and train with the first team for a bit, you know, and you know, and, and we we just build up their integration and. You see, you see what's there, but I think it's really, really, really important, especially to to Lewis, because I, you know that's the only right that I comment on them only at the moment because that's who I work for.
0: How are you finding your players in lockdown at the moment? Do you have much contact with them? Is there? Much- oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Of course you do, because you don't. You have to remember you're uh, you're the manager. Uh, you're the You know you're you're a manager of not just footballers but of people. And you have to be conscious that some of them might be struggling in this. Uh, and it's important that you check in them regularly. So I do all kinds of stuff with them. The last thing I did was we did a, who could do the most, pre- you know, for just something to do, yeah. who could do the most press-ups in 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I got conned into it as well. I didn't come last, though. That's all you need to know. I won't name who come last. But, um, <laughs> the, uh, but so you just try to keep them, uh, yeah, you, you still have to speak to them. I've got some real plans coming up for them soon um because I want them to start thinking about our style of play next season and I can set them tactical puzzles and tasks around it and we can interact on that. And uh, there's all kinds of things that I've got planned. So as I said when we go in when we can return, when we will meet up on that first day, everybody knows what's going on. And it actually for me I, I figured it was a smart way to use my time and their time. Um just to give to maybe maybe it'll give me an advantage, I don't know. But what other people are doing like in, in similar, I, I have no idea. But yeah, you have to keep talking to people. You can't just ignore them.
0: How, how do you, do you want to go back on the question really, how, you know, you've got your consultancy in business and, you know, the scouting and, and you come from an educated background, not just in coaching, managing, you know, you seem like a very open-minded person that's taking lots of information from all different kinds of, you know, sectors, maybe from business or from leadership and things like that and try to mould it. Uh, how easy is it to get players becoming students of the game? Because when we're young, we love the game. We play a high level. It's expectations there. But this is mid-ground
1: where you're, you know, good level, good money, but people get lost in, in really – like you, you, you have to make it interesting for them. Because right. so it's no different to a coaching session. If your coaching sh- session isn't interesting, then your coaching session won't be a, a great success. So you have to make sure that your session is, is good and it challenges, it's relevant, it's consistent to your message. With players, um, you know, if you can challenge them in, a, in an interesting way, like I'm hoping to with these tactical um, tactical puzzles or whatever you want to call them, then, that, then that's great, you know. But some players are n- more uh, curious, I think, than others. Mm. You know, there's, there's some players, you know, I've worked with in the past that you can see that they're going to go on and do something really good, whether it be a manager or a coach. example would be uh, when I was at Bromley, I was with Adam Birchall, you know, who was a great, great footballer, great centre forward, you know, but he was at the end of his career. So he was obviously now thinking about coaching and him and I used to sit on the the team bus for hours talking about sessions and stuff. I think people thought we were weird, but I could see that Adam was going to, uh, become a top coach and he he now works for a Premier League club um, you know at an important age group and um, but I could see that that was going to come I think you, a lot of I think the mistake a lot of players might make is that they think that it's, the transition into it is quite straightforward um, but, but it isn't I think the biggest problem that, that people find maybe without realising it is that to be able to coach or manage or whatever it is that you're doing you need to be able to communicate Clearly, in a way that people can understand what you mean, and I think uh, a lot of footballers who are just used to turning up, taking part in training, you know, having their laugh joke going home, and all of a sudden, you know, this they then are put in a position where they have to communicate what they mean to other players, and they, and they, and that's where that's where people struggle, you know, and that's why you see a lot of people not just in non-league but in general levels of the game. They find it quite difficult, and as a result, they don't get the results that they want because they haven't taken their time maybe to, um, to improve on how they communicate and how they present themselves.
0: So, do, do you think that uh, football is becoming overcomplicated? Do you think there's potentially people making it more complicated than
1: these be? Uh, I, I think uh, generally, no. Uh, I think I see stuff on social media, um, and I, you know, I like reading uh, people analysing football and um, some of it I think I read some of that and I think you know you're, you're long-winded or you're over-complicating your message um, but generally I, not, probably not really I think there's that there's probably that side of it you know you've got your, your, your couch pundit your Twitter pundit you know maybe I think like, I find at the moment Twitter's a bit of a, at a particularly in this lockdown it's a bit of a shouting competition who can shout the loudest and for the longest you know and it's without even really saying much, you know, and it's, um, probably more so in social media, but I think if you go into, it, if you came to one of my training sessions, and you'd be very welcome to, when we return, it's, it, it's not complicated, but it's effective, and your message, as I keep saying, remains consistent. What message would you give to any, uh, any young player, that's watching this now,
0: you know, like, you know, I, I spoke to, uh, Jay Lovett, uh, recently, and, and, you know, yeah. manager and things like that, you know, he's, you know, and and we got. I work at Woven Cottage. We have got a few of our county boys, with you know, Brother Lewis and things like that. Great, great talent around. There's some real good talent. What advice would you give those boys who are you know wanting to progress to that next level, but are coming to the end of that 18 bracket?
1: Did you see uh, Robin Van Persie? Yes. Talking. Yeah. That show them that. Mm. That sums it all up. What what Robin Van Persie said about his son uh, was. Um, very smart, very clever, and, um, and that's come from somebody who's been at the highest level of the game and stayed there for many years. So um, you take control of your own destiny, wasn't it? Stop blaming others. Uh, take control of your own destiny. Do 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 more than everybody else. And what you
0: about to young coaches out there? Because there's a lot of coach, you know, a lot, a lot of people getting a coach in now. I want to be coaches, etc. And yeah.
1: yeah, coaching's become maybe sexy um, over. Over the last 10 years, particularly more so, I think, since Mourinho came to the Premier League and obviously Pep, you know, the, the smartly dressed guys. And, you know, uh, I think it's perceived as being quite sexy. But um, I think um, my a lot of coaches, for example, they'll get their break or they'll get their UEFA B licence and then they think they've cracked it. And they say, oh, what, you know, I should be working at, for Man United. so I should be doing under 23s at Charlton or whatever it may be. It doesn't work like that. You know you, you can never stop learning, and I think the most important thing is is to be, to be objective at all times, uh, particularly in, 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 in your message and your references. Um, and be curious. don't be afraid to criticize yourself and have other people criticize you. Doesn't mean Does't mean they hate you or calling you a bad person? They're not They're just giving you something to help you. you know? And I think people are a little bit scared at times to accept advice stroke criticism from others um, but I think the most important thing is, is um, to 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 like you just said about the players what can you do that others aren't you know can you what's your thinking like are you a, you know particularly in game what happens if something goes wrong in your coaching session do you lose your thinking do you lose your head do you lose your your, your pathway in the session or do you remain calm and can you readapt it you know because people I think People think as coaches, even in your session, that you're always being judged. Sure, you are to an extent by your players, you know, but they worry too much, particularly youth, um, you know, from the youngins, when they've got their parents on the sideline. I see it. It's almost like they're putting on a show for the parents. I parents ain't the ones on the pitch. So, <laughs> stop worrying about them. What can... I say this, this season's
0: come to a finish now, uh, but it, it will start again what uh what can people expect from you and obviously lewis coming in 2020 2021 i think it'll be
1: well yeah it's, you know i'm not going to sit here and say i want to win the league i want to get promoted blah 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 because blah, everybody's going to say that you know um for me i want to uh, become a better be a better manager i want to make my players better players um You know, I want to um, enjoy the season with them. And most importantly, I want to win as many games of football as I can. Where that takes us, that remains to be seen. You know, but I I can't make outlandish uh, comments or predictions. Um, I never understood that managers four seasons go, oh, we're going to win the league and then they're sacked by November. It's like, yeah, that didn't work out too well for you. So don't put that yourself in that situation where you're suddenly heaping all this pressure upon yourself. Yeah. You know, so I, I I know what I want to do. I know how I want to play. I know the players that I want to get in. So more importantly, my short-term goal now is can I get the players in that I want in, and then uh, we'll go from there. And I'm I'm excited about it. I will leave
0: you this question because uh, it tends to have a different reaction. There's no right or no wrong answer. What would you rather do? Would you rather win 1-0 with with, with a 94th minute own goal, but get completely booed off the park, cups, hot dogs, you name it, thrown at you, or lose 4-0, but get applauded off because you played such good football and you are the, you know, everyone loves being around your team, but you lost 4-0. What would you, what would you... Well, why would I want, why
1: would I want people clapping losers?
0: Mate, I've got to be honest with you. I ask this question all the time, and, and you'd be surprised how many times people come back and go, Yeah, but it's about, you know, you'd be amazed.
1: People say to me, What's your philosophy? Uh, and I say, It's simple. Uh, if I'm working in senior football, it's to win. I Perfect. think that might answer your question. Yeah. You'll
0: I'll be amazed. Only people, maybe people say the opposite it's a bit,
1: but I think maybe, listen, I don't And I'm not criticizing people at all, but people like to be associated with. Uh, playing what they call the right way, whatever that is, you know, what's the right way, you know, surely the right way is, is, is varies depending on your opponent. So like you, you could be a great team that likes to play out from the back and through the thirds and all these rotations and half spaces and all that kind of stuff. But what when you play against a team that can't defend long balls very well, mm-hmm. then it's a major weakness of them. So, um, yeah i listen i'm I'm here to my job is to win absolutely any last, with young like, with youngins, it's different young is different
0: yeah any last words for the audience mate
1: I hope everybody uh is well and they're safe and uh, listening to the advice as you might know I'm quite vocal about it on twitter that people are you know i see even if you're a footballer listening to this and you're sneaking off for two or three of your mates for a kick around and going back to separate houses, just don't do it. The longer we'll, you will mess around and you don't stay at home, the longer football will not come back. Just go home, be safe, occupy yourself, learn something new, draw some art, read a book, learn a language, whatever it might be. I don't, Whatever floats your boat, you know, but please, please, please just do it at home until we're told otherwise.
0: Perfect. Hugo, thanks so much for spending time this evening with. Uh, with Thank you me. for having me. Enjoyed it. You know, I I, I love I love honest people. You know, I, I I me personally. You know, the world needs to be more honest. Not you know with themselves or other people. And and any time we have a conversation, it becomes an honest conversation from the heart, warm, real. That's uh, that's music to my ears, mate. Not difficult, is it? Hey, mate, it's not. But you'd be surprised how many people live by other people's rules. I'm not I'm not surprised. No, no. Mike, <laughs> thank you so much for spending your time. Uh, and definitely I will definitely see you soon. Guys, when you listen to this back, you know, I, I say all the time, but this guy is raw, he's real, but he, he's a winner. He's had experience beyond most people's experience, but he's a student of the game, he still learns, he's got his ideas and he's he's his own man. And I'll tell you what, guys, if you can take anything away from it, you know, being your own man in your environment, you know, living by the, your rules have ability to, to grow and develop and learn from great people and surround yourself by great people. You are going to do exceptionally well, like this man's going to do for Lewis, like he's done for the rest of his career so far. So I'm, I'm buzzing to see how these guys guys, because I've got a few boys out of college with me that, you know, I know that he quite likes quite a bit and I'll, you know, it's good to see, good to see they're in great, great hands. So Hugo again, once, once again, mate, thank you so much for spending
1: time. Pleasure. Thank, thank you for having me.
0: Guys, like I say in all these podcasts at the moment, stay safe, stay at home. As Hugo says, learn something, be sure of something, develop your knowledge, go and read a book, do some art, play with your children more than you don't normally play with them. You know, watch a box set that makes you laugh at your family. Do something that makes you – but be smart about it and stay at home because we want this over as quick as we can and we want no more, uh, uh, no more people getting, getting ill and, and, and no more people dying. So we want to be smart about this because we want this to go back as best we can. So until next time, guys, take care. See you soon. Bye-bye.